The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bethanelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me are Thomas and Herho. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Dom. How's it going? Very well. And Father Michael Gossett. How are you, Father Michael? Very good. It's good to be here. Yes, it's good to have you back. Uh, it's been a while. I was mentioning mm-hmm. before we started recording that uh, we haven't had John for a while. The schedules haven't matched up, but I'm glad to have you. This is, as as a iOS, Mac, Apple guy, this is the week to be on. I know. Uh, Thomas, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> sorry, I got some stuff to say about it, too, you know? Oh, good. <laughs> actually, I'm really glad that, actually, that we're not all just like Mac heads here, because or, or iOS heads here, because I'd like to get that extra perspective. And the, the, the key here is, I think before we jump into the details of, Apple had its big developer conference uh, this week, and they had their usual keynote where they reveal their plans for software plans generally, although there's a big hardware announcement, uh, for the rest of the year. And so this is where we get a chance to see what Apple's got, got planned. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to get sucked into the reality distortion field and think it's so amazing. I like to make sure we get a perspective from someone who's a little outside that reality distortion field so we can get a... That would be me. Yeah. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's... Let's hop right into it then. And uh, one of the big things they, to, to my mind that they announced was that uh, as of this fall, when they, when they roll it out, I, iOS will not be an iPad and iPhone. It's going to split. And so there'll still be iOS for your iPhone, but there'll also be iPad OS. Um, now, the understanding is it's still it's basically the same operating system. But by decoupling them, I guess the idea is they can put features in that are only going to be on an iPad or only going to be on the iPhone, and they don't have to make it work on both. So what do you think this means for the for iPad from this point on? Do you have a, a sense of you know, your opinion? What, what will this do for iPad? I assume it's, it'll probably benefit iPad, but in what ways do you think it's going to be they plan to make it benefit iPad? Well, I'm not an iPad user myself, but I think it's clear that it's the way of the future. And just like tablets and touchscreen laptops and things like that, I heard someone say recently just that uh, we all use devices where we touch the screens constantly more than anything else and in our smartphones. And so uh, just like letting iPad and its own OS sort of develop on its own and be more and more, uh, quote unquote, a real computer, I know. Lots of people that have strong opinions about that, but you can do a lot of things just on an iPhone, and even more so with the screen space of of an iPad. And so, I think just allowing it to develop and it finally be its own thing, and not uh, not just a big version of a thing that we've already seen. I think that's that's pretty exciting, and can allow for the things that you can only do on a, a touch screen device, even with Apple Pencil uh, on a big space like that. It, it it can lead to some really interesting uses. 
Yeah. Spe- speaking of people who uh, who think that uh, going iPad only is nothing to th- I I'm the guy who wrote the blog post. Going iPad only is stupid. <laughs> Which, uh, to be fair, it, the iPad as of March 2019, trying to do everything on that iPad on an iPad uh, for most people is probably not a good idea. But yeah, I, you know, the point your point is is still valid. We're we're heading in a direction. And I th- I think I think also the um, from a developer's perspective, it's it's difficult to program an iOS program because. Your, if your intention is to use it on an iPad, it's a very different use case than using it on a tiny little uh, iPhone screen. Uh, and so, especially from a gaming perspective, uh, you know, touching a, a screen on an, on an iPhone is just ridiculous to try and touch small little spaces. Whereas if you have a much larger iPad screen, uh, you can actually touch and do like a real-time strategy game where you can touch different parts of the screen and have things happen. And so uh, developers have been complaining about this for a while. I, I know for a fact that this has been one of those things where developing an iOS uh, game is really difficult because you're constantly trying to worry about, well, which screen is it going to be played on exactly? Right. And then there are some that get around it by saying, oh, this is only for the iPad version of uh, OS, uh, of the iOS, and then others that uh, try and uh, make a control switch so you can turn it on or off depending on how you want to how you want to interact with the game. Uh, so I, I think this is a good idea. I, I really do like it. Uh, Google is trying something similar right now. They're Android. They have an Android and then an Android Go uh, operating system that is like not exactly the same concept because they're you know they're, they're not limited by having a certain set of number of devices, but. Um, it, it does divide what people are going to be programming for it and what's going to be coming out for that particular environment. Yeah, you know, you, you make a good point, which is that in some ways, the iPad and, and iPhone have been separate for a while because there have been apps which were iPhone only or iPad only or or, or very uh, separate from one another. Or they, or they come out in different forms, just like, you know, even iPhone, iPad and Mac versions of an app. Right. Um, so, so some of this is sort of you, you, that's a good point. Some of this has sort of existed already. You know, some of the things that they're gonna that they're gonna be bringing for iPad OS is uh, we'll now have multiple apps or multiple windows. Uh, you know, we've had that slide over thing for a while. Now you can have multiple windows open, just like we've had on a on a Mac and a Windows mm-hmm. for years. Uh, we'll have uh, widgets on the home screen, uh, with, alongside your apps, which is something that Android has had. Yeah, which we we were actually in our recent iPhone versus the Android uh, show we talked about, and having those on the screen is a big deal for me. Like, I I want to be able to use my iPad as a primary device more often. Like sometimes I'll want to go edit a show on my patio when it's nice out. I can't. I'm not gonna drag my iMac out there. It's just not gonna <laughs> happen. So I I bring my laptop, but I I'd love to bring my my iPad, but. There's, I'm just, I feel too hamstrung uh, getting the data in and out. Now the, you're going to be able to have, um, you're going to be able to hook up hard drives and thumb drives and have multiple windows. And suddenly things are starting to look a lot more possible, which is really nice to hear. And even mouse support, uh, which is kind of hidden in the accessibility area. I mean, that that it's really starting to feel like a real a real, you know, workstation. I think for a lot of maybe younger people, that's their computer. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe they their family has a, some sort of desktop or 
they use them at school, but like an iPad might be the thing that they most interact with and most kind of access the internet and access different apps. And I think just to make it more and more capable uh, is just going to be a huge help as they learn to use different apps and learn to do different things on the computer that uh, you can now do on an iPad. I wonder too, if this is going to be a laptop killer. I, um, that's, I, I think that might be where uh, Mac is trying to angle with this is that this is a, a desktop does a specific set of things and uh, an iPad does a specific set of things now. But if we can expand the use of an iPad just a little bit, like you said, you know, it's something portable that you can take out to the patio and do some work on. That's really what their desktop is kind of fitting the role of at the moment. And if you can just cut that middleman, then you don't really need that extra step of having the the, the desktop thing. Uh, and then, you know, maybe maybe iPad is going to start moving into that like flippable, uh, you know, you got the the uh, the keyboard on it that can flip over to the back and you can use it as a tablet and, and it starts moving more into that um, angle of things. I'd like to see that personally. I think that um, I think that the laptops that Mac makes really are you know, as as I'm sitting here talking to you guys on a Mac <laughs> laptop. Um, right? uh, I, I really don't I don't think they're worth as much as the, the, the hardcore Mac computer or the iPad if it were beefed up. Yeah, I would think I think that there's a large number of people you know, uh, uh, that who their use case for a computer, the things that they do in a computer 90% of the time could with just a little bit more cap capability in an iPad, an iPad could substitute for it. Like my wife uses a MacBook Air for her work, which uh, is, uh, you know, for her use, community use. She's on Facebook to talk, you know, she's on Messenger. She's on websites. Uh, she, she's not doing, she's writing things. She's not doing heavy lifting. She's not editing audio and video or whatever, even doing heavy spreadsheets, which she could do on a, on an iPad. But for her, there's still a little bit of a barrier, maybe even just a generational age barrier to not having that regular form factor. Uh, but it's not going to be take much to really push this device onto a lot of desks instead of a, a MacBook. Or you know, or other laptops, uh, and I think you're right there. One of the things you mentioned, Father, about like the the kids using the iPads. Uh, we have a a bunch of you know hand me down iPad twos that we pick up. Uh, Pat, who is a regular on on our show, uh, my mother in law, she often picks them up uh, from uh, clients who are you know upgrading. And she'll send us them. And so we have like basically disposable iPad twos and threes. <laughs> and uh, my kids, they use those. They When I put a keyboard in front of them, they don't know what to do with it. Like, yeah. they, they, like it, it's a screen. They touch the screen. It's very confusing. As, as a tech teacher, I can attest to this. I have had I, every year when I when they come back from uh, from summer, I have to reteach them. No, you don't touch the screens on my computers in the tech lab. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, in addition to the iPad OS, now we have iOS 13 was re revealed, and some some important things with that. One of the things, I, a little thing for me, is the idea that in video editing, they, you can now rotate the video. No more vertical video, folks. <laughs> rotate <laughs> your video. Uh, so, but uh, that's a little thing. One of the things that I thought was very interesting was they talk about sign in with Apple ID, and. I, I don't think it was really clear in the news coverage of this what this is. is you know, you, you go all around the web and you see, you know, sign in with your Facebook account or sign in with Google. Well, when you sign in with your Facebook account, you're you're giving Facebook 
more information about how you use your device and how you use the internet and sometimes even what you're doing on a website. And a little while ago, I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And I switched all of those sites where I was, because it was convenient. You just press a button and you're in, right? But I said, I'd rather have to enter my passwords, especially since uh, iOS 11 got the uh, the really nice integration with uh, password managers. I said, I'm going to just go back to a password. But this, Apple's Apple's offering a service, and the, what makes it different from the others is they don't, they, 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 they encrypt the email address that you used to sign in with, and none of that information goes to either the website, except that your, you know, your, it's your account, or Apple. Apple doesn't know what you're signing in, you know, that you're signing into a particular thing. It's it's encrypted. I'm not sure of the exact actual details of it, but the idea is that it's private, and it's convenient because if you're doing it on your phone. Like you, you know, a lot of times you get a, you download a new app. They want you to create an account and sign in. It's such a pain. You get to create a password and put in your account, your your password manager. It's it's uh, this is you'll just sign in with your Apple ID and you're in. You you have a new account with whatever service is connected to that app. So I think that's a I think that's a big thing with it. What do you think? What you and what do you think of other features in iOS 13 as well? For me, it's the new iOS is always exciting because it's it's the computer I use more more than anything that sits on a desk or has a keyboard like I'm using my phone for ever, for for work things for ministry things all the time and uh even just that particular thing of signing with Apple ID I have been impressed with uh just the integration with like uh, the keychain and I use uh one password and things like that but the when they, I was watching the video explaining this feature, just that it generates a new email address for every one of those things that you sign up for. And then you can go back in your settings and like, nope, I'm done with this one. And you stop getting emails from them. And that's, that's a really interesting thing. They seem to do a good job with this stuff uh, in a way that maybe, maybe I'm just too trusting. Um, but uh, we're always afraid of these companies and, you know, entrusting too much to one but I like that Apple tries to really keep uh, these things private, that they don't see the whole thing. And, I, and if that is really what's happening, that's a really fantastic feature. I guess the other, uh, everybody's freaking out about dark mode. I'm excited about dark mode. <laughs> uh, I think it's just, a, it's it'll be a good thing. It'll be a good thing for me. <laughs> uh, I, I agree. Dark mode on a phone, I agree. Dark mode on a big screen, not as much. Uh, yeah. I grew up with uh, amber on black screens or uh, green yeah. on black screens, yeah. and uh, that and going to bed and seeing the green on your on your inside your eyelids. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that as a kid. But uh, you know, you make a, an interesting point. I saw a headline today that says uh, app privacy isn't Apple's brand. Apple is now selling privacy as a service, and it's an interesting mm-hmm. idea. Privacy as a service, where they're really mi- put, making a push where. You know where others are selling you to to other companies. We're selling new privacy, and that's a that's a, a very attractive thing. And as long as they are actually following through on it, they seem to be following through on it too. Though when you go back to like the um that whole issue that they had where there was the the supposed terrorist phone that the that the multiple agencies couldn't unlock, and Apple wasn't going to step in and make a backdoor for them. Uh, so I, I think that, uh, in the fact that your phones are encrypted by default, that, that, that is amazing to me. That's something that, um, as an Android user, you have to jump through a couple of different hoops to get your phone encrypted. 
uh, and it doesn't come as a default. It's not a, it's not an option that's readily a, a, apparent to uh, a user who's not interested in security. Uh, so that's, uh, I, I think that it feels like they're doing a good job of it. And if, if they're doing a good job of it at all, they've been audited on it. So they, they are definitely doing at least a good enough job to, to fool auditors, which is pretty impressive because <laughs> I think everybody has, you know, everybody has their, uh, their hackles up when it comes to, to Apple. It's like, oh my gosh, this corporation must be doing something evil. And it doesn't seem like they are. It seems like they're actually genuinely banking on the moment right now of people being interested in security and not really knowing how to do it themselves. So they're offering that as a service. And it's a great idea. You know, I, there was a recent article I saw that, that where there were security researchers were saying Apple needs to put hooks in, or holes in their system so that we can use security auditing software more easily. <laughs> uh, because if we if they don't let us uh, audit, you know, like do our research, we don't know if it's really secure. And right. it's like, OK, so we have to weaken the wall in order to make sure the wall is strong. But I also get that maybe the wall really isn't strong. We should make it let them put holes in it to make sure it's strong. You know, it's it's a tough it's a tough question. But I, you know, I, I kind of err on the side of well, let's just assume the wall is strong and not put holes in and t- on purpose. Uh, that would yeah. be one. Yeah. So another feature of iOS 13 that I that looked really interesting to me was this audio sharing with AirPods thing. Um, that where if uh, you have AirPods and someone else has AirPods and they have their iPhone and say you're listening to something on your phone, they can tap their phone on your phone and it will automatically connect that person's AirPods to your to your phone. So you're both listening to the same thing. And, you know, I mean, this isn't something I do much as an adult, but I know for, especially for kids who listen listen to music, and when I was, you know, sharing in earbuds, that sort of thing, Mm -hmm. although that's gross, don't do that, put other people's earbuds in your ears, that's kind of gross. But (laughs) but I'd say, what, that's a good solution to it. So I I find that that's sort of, that's innovative. That's, I Mm -hmm. I like that kind of thinking. It solves the problem. It is really clever. And I remember I, I bought AirPods and I love them. And I felt really self-conscious about wearing them anywhere in public because when I first got them, I didn't see them anywhere. Yeah. And now they're absolutely everywhere. And uh, especially with like teenagers and young adults, that that's the way they use, they listen to music. And yeah, to, to share that way, it's just, it's just like a clever thing where they looked at the reality of how people use these devices and say, well, we can make this easier. And that's really, right. I'm glad they're thinking that way. I love the audacity of it too. That oh well, everybody has an iPhone, <laughs> right? And AirPods. You know? <laughs> the, the... Exactly, exactly. Everybody has this equipment. This is this is all. And that's I think that's uh, that's one of the ways that that the whole Mac environment is really pushing forward their their community because it's it's easy. It's just easy to use. It's easy to you know just snap your phone onto somebody else's phone and suddenly you're listening to whatever music they're listening to. And intuitively, the operating system is going to kind of know how to how to do that. So. And it also it's easier if you just get the Apple gear, right? You know, like right? you can get you can get twenty dollars Bluetooth headphones, but if you get the AirPods, then you can do this cool stuff. And it's just easier if you just get is if you just have everything that's Apple branded. It's just life is easier, right? Right. <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I have to admit, I've kind of bought into that. I've got all Apple yeah. gear, although although. I am still an Echo guy and not a HomePod guy because <laughs> I still don't think the HomePod is is good enough yet. But well, that's a whole nother discussion. 
<laughs> so, uh, there's a couple other things I saw. I saw you know, iOS 13 looked interesting. Was uh, the HomeKit now does both routers, so you can automate your your uh, Wi-Fi router and secure video. So they they put uh, space in iCloud for your HomeKit enabled security camera to store up to I think up to ten days worth of video, and it doesn't impinge upon the any iCloud storage that you're paying for. It's it's an addition to that. And I think that's a very interesting idea. You know, again, it's encrypted. It's in a cloud. It's it's. I'm pretty sure it's not going to be watched by like Romanian uh, researchers who work for the company, a la Ring and Amazon, and you know who are <laughs> you know that sort of stuff. I, I I like that idea. And 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 it's not their own cameras. They they have third party cameras that they're working with, uh, which is which is a good thing because it means it's a larger ecosystem. I mean, in that case, it's sort of the opposite rather than apple branded gear it's they they kind of open it up to non-apple uh gear so i like that and then this uh maps 3d that uh which is has like a street view in it but instead of jerking forward like in a like a a static picture it it moves like video so you fly you basically fly through city streets uh which is a much more fluid way of seeing where how to get a place to a place I don't know if that makes sense. You have to kind of see it to, to understand it. But I'm I'm excited for kind of any update of Maps because I like the way it works. Even like Google Maps is just better right now. Yeah. But uh, I I wish Google Maps looked like Apple Maps. Um, and so seeing them move in that direction is helpful. I'm a Waze guy myself. I, but... I was gonna I was gonna bring that one up if nobody else was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've been a Waze guy for years and I like Waze and I still use it. But every time I use Apple Maps, because sometimes Waze just doesn't work for some reason. It's like the servers or something. Every time I use Apple Maps, when I'm driving and it does the haptic tap on my wrist for the take take a left turn or right turn, I'm like, man, this makes using Apple Maps that much more attractive. I do yeah. like that. So the uh, so then so let's talk about macOS Catalina, which is their next operating system for the Mac. Um, one of the big things that was running through the news, and I think we have to do a public service here and explain to people, your iTunes library, your iTunes movies, your iTunes music is not going away. The podcast directory is not going away. Okay? What's going away is is a monolithic piece of software on your Mac called iTunes. And instead, it's going to be replaced with three apps, just like on your iPhone or on your iPad, uh, an app called Music, an app called TV, and an app called Podcast. So Music will have all of your music in playlists, as you have today, and Apple Music will be on a more equal footing. TV will have all your movies and the Apple TV Plus and all that stuff. Podcast, which is the most important po- uh, part of it at all, of all. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll have, definitely. <laughs> definitely. will have its own dedicated app, which I I think really puts it on a, you know, on, on a equal footing on the Mac, finally. To music and and even TV, uh, in the sense of uh, putting it in front of people. So uh, I'm excited by that. Uh, what 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 other things did you did you notice about this that uh, that st- struck out to you for on macOS Catalina? I think the the podcast is there is really interesting because it, of all those that media, it's the thing that I would say like most kind of like your average internet using person may not use a lot. That, right. A lot of us listen to podcasts, but like you said, to put it on equal footing with music and TV is huge. Um, the whole iPad apps on the Mac 
is kind of exciting. Just like I said, I don't use the iPad, but just that these things can cross over more, I think is really helpful. Just as kind of like uh, the the iPhone and the iPad having their own versions of things, having iPad Max on the app really, it seems to make space for people who make these things to have a way bigger audience and be able to do a lot more interesting things. And it brings those, it, you know, it brings those other things to the forefront in a way they haven't been before. Uh, the The movies were always kind of hidden and hard to get to in iTunes. iTunes was about music and it started out about music and it carried on about music. And that's what it always has really been. And I, I have to this day, I'll, I I'll, will remember that I have things hidden in my iTunes that are, you know, <laughs> videos that yeah. I bought at some point. I'm like, oh, hey, I forgot I had that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and still haven't watched it in some cases. <laughs> but it's but it's, you know, it's sitting there. And um and, and I think this is a good way for them to do that. I'm also interested in what this is going to do as a competitive space, because, um you know, you have uh, Amazon Prime's uh, Prime Movies. You have the Netflix uh, kind of concept of TV shows, uh, and then you have this new Disney uh, uh, chant, this new Disney uh, streaming service coming up too. I'm interested if if uh, Mac is going to try and move into that space where they're going to uh, make this TV thing a, a little bit more of its own uh, piece. I, I say that, and then at the same time, I retract that statement too because they're not Google, and Google would. Google, that's like Google's thing. We're going to spawn this new company. We're going to try it out and see how it goes. And I know that's not Mac's thing, but I'd be really interested to see if they have the if they want to try and get in this space while there's still enough room for them to be competitive. Well, I think the you know the Apple TV Plus, which they unveiled a few months ago, which will be you know original programming that they're creating for a an additional streaming service. It's interesting, but it's. I don't think it's. I don't think they envision it as being of the scale of a pro, Amazon Prime Video or Netflix or Hulu, uh, or even Disney Plus, uh, which will ha- which have dozens and hundreds of shows. I think from the you know Apple's standpoint is we do fewer things uh, well. You know we right. do so we have fewer products, but we but we do it as the way we we think is the best way of doing it. And I think that's going to kind of hold true here where I think TV, the TV app will have that stuff in it and it will be the way that they get it in front of people on the Mac. Uh, and I think it'll be front and center in that app. Uh, the idea that they're breaking that out from iTunes, I think that's part of the reason why. I think you're onto something there. Part of the reason why they're breaking this out of iTunes now is so that there is an app called TV on your right. on your, on your <laughs> Mac. Uh, so I, I I agree with that, and that and the same thing. With podcasts have a moment in in our culture right now. Podcasts are big business. Big businesses are buying podcast networks and companies, and and the podcasts are becoming very popular. Some there are some really big podcasts. I think uh, I think that's a good sign too. Uh, speaking of the iPads on the Mac, I think that is a big development because what it means is developers only have to write a program once, and then there's smaller uh, uh, things that they have to do to move it between iPad and the Mac. Like, so they could have one app that's on both. Where today, it's almost two whole different uh, code bases, two, uh, two, two different sets of code that they have to maintain. And there's this new thing called Swift UI. It's all technical. But what it means is, is there's only one place they have to go, that, you know, flip a switch and say, make the user interface for iPad, now make and then flip the switch the other way. Now make the user interface for Mac, and so the button, you know, buttons are different and in different places and all that sort of stuff. 
now there's just one place to whereas before there was two different sets of tools that they had to use. So it's, that's really big. And, you know, we've seen some of these apps like news and voice memos and the stock app already from Apple sort of feeling their way into this. Uh, I think we'll we'll see these things become much more robust going forward. One of the big things that uh, I thought was I, I thought was sort of flew under the radar a little bit was this idea of authenticate on your Mac with your Apple Watch. Now, here's here's what happens today. I have an Apple Watch, um, and I have a set. There's a setting in the Apple Watch app on my phone that if I come to my computer, and there's also a setting on my Mac. If I wake up my Mac. I don't have, and I'm wearing my Apple Watch, and I'm and I'm logged in on my Apple Watch. That's a key. Uh, it says, "Okay, you are present and opening your Mac, so I, you don't need to enter your password. We'll unlock it for you, like magic." I I love this feature uh, when it works. Sometimes huh, huh. for for Apple only knows why <laughs> it just doesn't work. I'm logged in. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, so I love this idea. Uh, and so the idea is they're going to take this a little step further and say, um, if you uh, ha- have your watch on and you're authenticated, when it's time to to enter a password and say you want to unlock your keychain or maybe one password or um, last pass or something like that, it will unlock without you having to enter in your long secure password and just unlock and you won't have to enter passwords on your Mac uh, to authenticate for things, websites and apps and that sort of thing. And that's really attractive. However, I think it's less secure because the password on my Apple Watch is only four digits. So right. if someone else knows those four numbers and puts my watch on their wrist, which admittedly I always have my watch on unless I'm sleeping or in the shower because I don't have one of those fancy uh, new waterproof ones. Uh, but but if someone were to do that, they could get into everything. So that's a little, that makes me a little concerned. What do you think of this? It's just like one, maybe one step <clears throat> too far in that way, or just one step on the side of, uh, I don't know. I feel like I need to be more cautious. I like knowing that I'm the one that's doing it and just being near something uh, shouldn't. It's kind of like the face ID on my phone. I don't always want it to unlock. I right. just want to look at it and see what's going what what message I got and the fact that it it does that on its own can it maybe isn't inherently dangerous but can open up the possibility to uh you know someone else doing something that you don't want them to do yeah yeah just being present is is an issue like if someone can just sit you down at your computer and say uh not even have to say log in they just sit you down at your computer and suddenly you're logged in and they can right. then move you out of the way and do what they need to do whereas before, if I have to enter a password, I can enter the wrong password 10 times and lock my computer up and mm-hmm. we're done, you know? So I, I, I'm not a big fan. Uh, the convenience is nice. Uh, but I think that you run the risk then of of falling into that trap of it, it, you have to give up a little bit of convenience to get security. You do. It's it's the truth. And and this is kind of a step backwards in that. In that yeah, you don't even need to be sitting at the desk. You could be in mm-hmm. the room with it and they're like okay you sit over in that chair over there and we unlock your your computer just because you happen to be near it that is you don't have to say a word you don't have to do a thing except be present think about that from a um a legal standpoint um mm-hmm. if how that would be tested like right now the court says you don't have to put your thumb or fingerprint on a fingerprint reader on your phone but 
there's nothing that says they can't hold your their, your phone up to your face and get your face ID to unlock it. Or even right. this, where if you're wearing that watch and, and it, you haven't taken it off and it's still authenticated. So if you ever get in a, in a point where you if someone's going to break into your computer, take your watch off right away. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they can't lock in. So keep that in mind. Uh, all right. So another thing that they that they have on uh, Mac OS Catalina is this new Find My. And I saw this before, and I talked about this. I saw a rumor about it. And so we have Find My Find My Friends and we today. And today we have Find My iPhone or really, which is Find My Devices. You can look for your iPad and your watch and your AirPods and your Mac even and all that sort of stuff in this in these apps. And now they're going to combine into one where you know my friends and my devices are at equal Find level. Um, and one thing they've added is if your device, say my, I say my iPhone, I drop my iPhone in the city somewhere. If there's another uh, iPhone or iPad or Mac within Bluetooth range of it, um, and it's up to date, let you we stipulate that it's up, get the latest operating system. It will ping and say, hey, I found your device. Like when I'm looking for it, it'll say your device was seen here. Even if the phone is, uh, asleep or in low power mode. No, actually, low power mode it might not work because it does need Bluetooth, and that turns off with low power mode. But if it's asleep or low, you know, in a, in a state that's not normally awake, it will find it. And I, I like that. Uh, now, there are services like that already with like Tile and Tracker with the R and no E, uh, and a couple others like that, where they use the same sort of. Uh, distributed web of low power uh, Bluetooth devices, which relies on there being many people with these things uh, who are, the odds are someone will be close to your device at some point. The big difference here is we come back to that privacy as a service. Apple, now Apple did not announce any additional devices. They could coming up, you know, this fall maybe, but, but Apple, the way Apple implements it is, they don't know. They don't see where your things are. Everything is double encrypted, and it's, it's all kind of secure. They don't keep track. What do you think of this, though? What do you think of this idea of this distributed way of of finding your things? As long as they're doing what they say they're doing, uh, <laughs> I think that's the thing. Because when I first heard that, I was like, so they have like this virtual map of of everybody and every single one that that has this activated. But I think. Uh, yeah, it it could be. I mean, the terror of losing your phone is is a real thing, and so much of our lives is on these devices. And if if it makes it that much easier that it's not just gone forever, or if it's stolen or something like that. But uh, um, yeah, I think it it does come back to that trusting that it is all encrypted, that it is all uh actually private. And, and this is one of those areas where you get you get into the realm of metadata being significant and um even encrypting everything there are still levels of being able to tell who has their bluetooth devices on and being able to you know i i can i can see places to use this with rfid and with bluetooth to identify who is seeing the device and being able to kind of ping off of that information and scrape some of that information uh to use even if everything's encrypted, you can still get some very high level data that can still give you a lot of really interesting information about who's where, when. And that, that to me is dangerous. And that, that's something that I, it's nice, it's convenient. But again, it's like we're, we're opening up more room for hackers to do 
hacker things. Uh, of course, <laughs> the 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 phone networks already have all this data, right? They know where yeah, all of where we are <laughs> at all times. I mean, right. it's just the yeah. you know the fact of that phones being on a network. So this is how they say it works. Um, according to Apple, as relayed through Wired magazine, um, it requires the user to have at least two Apple devices. Each device emits a constantly changing public key that nearby Apple devices use to encrypt and upload your geolocation data or your device's geolocation data. Only other Apple devices that you own and are linked to your Apple ID and thus protect with two-step authentication are able to decrypt those locations. So only so if I lose my phone, I have to be I have to have an iPad or a Mac uh, that that I'm logged into iCloud with on my on my on the same account, uh, and the, only then can these devices decrypt the key. So it's an interesting. It, it, it's it gives us a little more than what we had before. Uh, I mean, I know I've known people who've lost devices or had them stolen, and because they the thief turns off cell the cellular or turns off Wi-Fi or they don't put it on a Wi-Fi network. It, they can never find it, but as long as that Bluetooth is on, and maybe maybe the, these will get more sophisticated and or something. But um, it's it's that extra step, it's that extra level. So I think you're right, Father. It, you know, as long as Apple is doing what they say they do, and and Thomas, you're right too. There is there there is metadata attached to us that that we have to be aware of. You know that we, this doesn't make us this doesn't solve all of the security problems. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay, uh, so I think that's that's the key to these things. Is you we always have to be aware of the pros and the cons. Every every security solution has both pros and cons. Ways that they make us more secure, and maybe ways that that we're less secure that we weren't aware of before. And I think that's the key here. Uh, so uh, let's move on to Watch OS quickly to talk about that. Does, uh, it, it's really becoming a health device, really, the way they're pushing it. And there's things like they have new watch faces and they put an Apple Store on the watch. But one of the things that they mentioned was this new capability for cycle tracking. Now, none of us here are are women, obviously, uh, but uh, two of us are at least married to women who uh, and who have had children, so we understand how this works. But it's a menstrual cycle tracking system. The reason I bring it up is from a Catholic moral standpoint, where from the in the Catholic Church teaches that uh, contraception, artificial contraception, is immoral, and so she off, she says there are other there are ways of um, regulating birth. Uh, I'm trying to make sure I use the right language. Regulating birth that is in in, in accord with both our biology and morality, um, and one of those is to track the uh, your fertility cycle. Um, and you know, my wife and I we've been married for. 13 years almost now and you know through our whole marriage she's she's charted and all that sort of stuff and it's we have books and we have thermometers and we have all this stuff and it's it's very complicated and i could never remember exactly (laughs) is it six over three or three (laughs) over six and all these other things and uh and so this promises to help keep track of the cycle through i'm not sure whether it's a still a manual process or whether it's monitoring temperatures or what but uh i'm kind of curious i i I imagine like and this is i i've seriously contemplated getting this for for my wife because um it's still an issue for us like uh keeping track of all this stuff 
And one of the things that that's really difficult for us is because of our sleep schedules, because things are so weird with our sleep schedules, you know, having a nursing baby or mm-hmm. uh, just being woken up in the middle of the night or whatever, um, taking your temperature at the exact same time every <laughs> single day. Yeah, uh, is it's not easy. And so if you had uh, if you had a device that was monitoring that regularly and could take a base, you know, an optimal reading, that's just a baseline temperature, it gives you such a. A phenomenally accurate uh, reading that you would never be able to get. You'd have to sit there and temp constantly over the course of the day to be able to get that same kind of thing. Whereas this this device could just like read it and average it out for you and say, here's your base temperature for today. And then whenever you go sit down, even if it's just manually sitting down to do your charts with that piece of information, right? you're already way ahead of the game. <laughs> and I look at the kind of the fear on the faces of couples I'm preparing when I point them towards like, you know, they're doing their pre-cana or whatever, and they have to hear, they do a talk about natural family planning. And it's just, it's so outside of like our, our popular culture. And then when they get into the details, like, oh, this could be complicated. If technology can make this easier for people to like live in this like natural, healthy way that God's given, then gosh, like that's, that's such a great gift. Yeah. Absolutely. According to Apple's information, so the new app gives women the ability to log information related to their cycles and see predicted timing for their next period and fertile window. Uh, so the daily log enables the quick addition of information related to the cycle, including current period, flow, symptoms, results from ovulation prediction kits, and other elements. So presumably you'd still take your temperature with a therm- you know a thermometer if, if you're using that the symptothermal method, which a lot of people do. But, you know, I can see maybe a future Apple Watch, in addition to having, say, a glucose meter in the back of it, which I know they're trying to develop, maybe if it has a, a basal thermometer somehow that they've developed. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the sort of thing I like. I, I look forward to the future so that, say, when my daughters are married and, or, my, or my sons get married and, they have, and their wives are needing to do this, they don't have to have the same Stone Age... Stone knives and bearskins, as uh, Captain Kirk once said, uh, method of trying to do things. Uh, they they have this advanced technology, which just makes life easier. And frankly, I'd like to see if, that it could share with their husband. Yeah. Yeah, the yeah. Green light or like red light or something. <laughs> All I need to know is green light or red light, honey. <laughs> so the I, I find that interesting that there's more and more of this. And we, we have to come back to this topic of apps that that help predict both uh, menstruation and and fertility uh, because there's a bit of a controversy over them out there. Uh, the fact that some of these apps are backed by pro-lifers and that makes some people pause. So, But that's a future topic that I, I want to get to. Uh, so uh, the only other big announcement was the Mac Pro. I, I don't think that's really a big thing for our audience. I mean, we don't, I don't think if you are a video producer or, some kind of um, uh, you know photographer, you know professional photographer, somebody who use, needs to use pro level um, editing bay software, that sort of thing. If you're making movies or film scores, uh, that the Mac Pro is for a very limited audience, and so uh, it's a beautiful piece of hardware, but it starts at six grand, <laughs> and it's probably going to go up to thirty five grand uh, when you when you max it out. I mean, it's it's a it's a lovely looking computer with it's just the the specs on it are mind-boggling um and then it comes then you could also get this pro display which is five grand with a thousand dollar stand and 
you know, all, all this stuff. But the thing I really want to bring up is the idea that we have an iMac Pro that they introduced last year, and then we have a Mac Pro. So the iMac Pro is for professional use at a particular level. Then there's a Mac Pro, which goes beyond that to, like, even more. Uh, and now, And we also have an iMac. Should we have a, for lack of a better word, Mac, not Pro? Uh, not the Mac Mini. I feel like the Mac Mini is sort of like the Mac Mini is is sort of like two the MacBook and the MacBook Air that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas, I feel like there's a space in the lineup for a Mac that's expandable that is not a Mac Pro. Uh, that's that's mo- that could be modular in some way. What do you think of that? Yeah, when you I think would love of, to see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you think of Mac, you don't think of just like a normal desktop computer. It's kind of like either like uh, a MacBook Air, which is what I use and is tiny, or like these these unbelievably powerful computers that are unbelievably expensive. <laughs> right. um, but but yeah, I, I just don't not many people I know it's like, oh it's just it's just my desktop computer and maybe there is something that can be in there. I I love my iMac. I really do. But you know, in a year or so I'm gonna be saying Man, I need a bigger hard drive. I need a better uh, audio video card. I need, and and it's just, or I need more ports. Frankly, right now, I need more ports on this thing. I've yeah. got mixers and things all connected to it. Um, and it would be nice to be able to expand, and you know, as 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 the need arose. I I think that there there's something lost in this generation of the the tinkerer that that made the original computers. You know, the, those guys that sat down with electronics boards. Uh, I brought electronics back to our school and I, I'm teaching it to, um, to seventh and eighth graders. Uh, we have like an electronics program and man, the, the, these kids faces light up when we tear this stuff open and just, you know, start looking at the guts on the inside of these computers. Uh, and it's something that they're missing out on. It's it, it, I remember doing it as a kid, uh, you know, having these clunky computers that were put together by a shop down the street. And I got to sit and watch them put it together, and I got to take bits out and put new bits in when uh, whenever things got old. Uh, I would love to see the return of something like that. Yeah, I remember my gateway desktop that I had in college and personally cramming the network card in there and how satisfying it was to, like, I did this. I put this together. And even, like, watching my brother put together, like, a gaming computer <laughs> back in the day. That, uh... I, I had an Apple II GS uh, many, many moons ago, mm-hmm. and I remember getting a, a third-party RAM disk. So it was a 640K, like, you know, uh, persistent RAM so that I didn't have to, you know, so that as long as the computer was on, it was it kept, uh, the, you know, stuff, the operating system in alive so that mm-hmm. turning the computer on was instantaneous. I didn't have to wait for the operating system to load off a floppy. Uh, and it even had this lead acid battery that connected to it off the back is a rechargeable battery that uh, would allow it to, uh, to, to even when I had to restart the computer, it would, it would keep it alive. I mean, just, you know, but it was so satisfying, you know, to, to put cards in and to, to, to get in there and to upgrade your computer and to feel like this isn't just a little closed box. Like my phone is um, that it's something that's mine that I can, I can do Mm -hmm. with what I want. Yeah. I'd like to see phones that did this. There, there was there was talk for a little while about uh, a, a Linux phone that was going to be modular and it was going to be able to you know snap in different things. You could replace your camera, you could replace your uh, 
uh, your headphone jack or whatever it was. And it just died because I think there was not, um, there just wasn't enough interest first off because people liked just having phones that were pre-assembled. And then also there were some issues with the operating system and how it was going to work with the, um, with the cell phone carriers. So I can imagine it would, the size would have been an issue too, because when you have to build in connectors and yeah, you know, the casing and all that sort of stuff, you, you, the thing would probably look like a brick. Uh, when you were done with it, but uh, yeah, I would have I would have gladly carried that brick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't... just for the ability to be able to make it myself, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know Google was looking at that, uh, something like that as well. They 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 ended that. So so that was Apple's big announcements, and I think that pretty much wraps up the big tech announcement season for the for the the spring, the summer. It kind of gets a little slow. There's not much going on until the fall when. You know, phones and iPhones and stuff get start getting announced. Uh, so th- I think that sort of wraps that up. Uh, and so if folks have anything that they want to talk about, uh, any any part of the announcement that they that we didn't mention that they thought was significant, or if they want to comment on some of the stuff we've talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. Um, our email is technology at sqpn dot com, and let us know. We 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 love hearing from you. So uh, we had a second segment, but I think I want to kind of we we kind of spent a lot of time talking about the WWDC. We'll save that for another time. Uh, but So I, I kind of want to go to our picks of the week. Uh, it, uh, Father Michael, do you have a pick of the week this week? I do. It's kind of an abstract one, but I thought it was really important, is uh, muting people on Twitter occurred to me this week. <laughs> um, just that it's, it's a really powerful technology that can really be good for your mental and spiritual and emotional health. Um, there was just all these dumb kind of Catholic Twitter fights this week. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I j- just watching, I was like, this is doing me no good to follow this drama and to be angry and kind of just judging people and just like, I can make it go away for a week. I can make somebody go away for a month. And, uh, it's, it's better for me. It's better for them. And, uh, I think it's, we don't have to follow every, every little thing. And I know it's a lesson for myself. So. Don't be afraid to mute. Every Twitter client will let you do that, and it, uh, it's the way. It's a good way to live. So uh, that's what I was going to ask. Is it? I know that Tweetbot, which is my uh, Twitter client of, of, of choice, does it. Uh, but it, will the native Twitter uh, apps let you mute somebody? Oh, for, yeah, okay. I use Tweetbot too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you can you can mute on the on the native Twitter okay, apps. Good. Um, it's it's I. It, it, yeah, it's it's one of those things. Don't read everything. You you are under no obligation to read <laughs> uh-huh. everything that comes through your feed. Just remember <laughs> that 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 is going to save you so much headache right. in life. And <laughs> and it lowers the the barrier. Like I don't want to unfriend or unfollow somebody. Uh, that feels right. like a huge step. I mean, they're just annoying me right now. It's not like I never want to hear from them again. So muting is a way of saying, look, we just need to. We need to take a break. Remember, like, Friends with Rachel and Ross? <laughs> uh-huh. We were yeah. on a break, okay? And that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break from one another. And and I think yeah. that's that's an excellent uh, tip uh, this week is remember that you can mute people on social media. <laughs> yeah. Well, there there's some people that I um, I have permanently muted. Uh, I'm still their mm-hmm. friend, and so I can still go pop in on their page and look at their stuff. And, I, and when I do, I remind myself, oh, that's why I don't. <laughs> have them flowing through my feed <laughs> yeah and they don't notice like if you unfriend someone or unfollow sometimes they might they might notice that you've unfollowed or unfriended and that creates new drama that nobody really needs <laughs> so yeah, exactly that's good exactly. all right tell us what's your pick this week 
Um, I'm, my, for my pick this week, I'm going with meetup.com, uh, which is more of an app than it is a website. Uh, you can get to it as a website, but uh, I use it as an app. Um, it is fantastic for finding interest groups near you. Uh, I have had some great success with it. I've had great success finding uh, tabletop role-playing groups. Uh, I had a, a Python developer group that I joined for a little while that I found on Meetup. Uh, and, you know, it's it's just groups of people that you wouldn't know about otherwise that are able to advertise themselves and find people in your area that can meet up. I just went to one tonight. It's actually I was a little bit late for starting our podcast because I was coming back from it. But it was the uh, Tampa Bay uh, Writers Alliance. Mm. So it's a group of writers in the area. And we had a writing exercise. It was a lot of fun. I had a, had a really good time. Yeah, I'm looking at the front page now. So it's showing me groups near me and there's a, a hiking club. An AI discussion group with Boston, you know, so they'll be there. Right. Uh, several s- groups for singles and, or, you know, people in their 20s and 30s who are, who are single. Um, and then things like intro to soldering, which I'm like, oh, right. that's kind of yeah, cool. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I might want to yeah. take that. Uh, or running groups or language groups or even uh, learning to cook. So that, that looks really neat. I like that. That's uh, a great suggestion. Um, we need to, it gets us out from behind our, our desks. And into exactly. the world. That's a good, a good one. Yeah, and and really, the great thing about it is, like, you can you can judge, right? you can, you can tell pretty pretty well whether or not it's going to be a legitimate group. And most of these groups meet at public places, uh, so there's never really like a worry about it. Like, I, I went to this one tonight thinking I was going to there were going to be like maybe five six people there. There were almost twenty people at this um, writers mm. uh, guild that's there. So wow. it, you know, it, it can be really it can be really neat. And I found, like I said, I found um, role playing groups on it, and they they. I went expecting like a small group and it ended up being almost uh, 30 people that were at the role-playing group. So. Uh, I just found one called monastic cooking club, uh, <laughs> a group for anyone interested in prayer and cooking in the traditional and monastic approach to culinary service through prayer and work or aura at labora contemplative and practical activities in the kitchen or on the table. So there's a Catholic uh, group on meetup for you. There if you you're in the Boston area, that's awesome. Uh, great pick. Great pick. I have to check some of these out. So mine is kind of uh, kind of geeky, kind of gets in the weeds. This is for people who really want to get get into their hands dirty inside their virtually inside their Mac. Uh, it's a piece of software called Lock Rattler, and it it is kind of like what do you think it, you when you rattle a lock, make sure the lock the the lock is locked. Uh, lock Rattler is a piece of software that checks that your Mac's basic security systems are active and up to date. And so it basically it gives you information. It says, okay, system integrity protection is enabled, which it should be on a, on a standard installation, unless you've specifically turned it off. Uh, that is basic. Uh, it tells you, uh, you know, the versions of some security features like Gatekeeper and XProtect. Uh, it tells you whether the file vault is on or off, uh, whether the, the status of your latest um, malware, they, they have malware or you know blacklists that they... They download uh, for you, and you can, you know, whether you have your firmware password turned on or not. Um, so it, uh, you know, it it doesn't. You, you don't go in and do a lot of things with it. It's just a. I run it once a month on my computers just to see that everything is copacetic. Everything is the way it should be. Uh, that it's re- that's not reporting any dangerous vulnerabilities. That I haven't installed a piece of software that turned off something, uh, and that everything is. And it will tell me. If everything is up to date, or the last time an update has been run on these various parts of the system, so um, it's it's a it's a nice 
sort of peace of mind software. Um, it's it it may not be for everybody, but uh, I like it as a uh, as, as a bit of security for me, and maybe it, it'll give you even just give you some insight into what your computer is doing. Uh, that's that sometimes hidden. So we'll have links to that into the meetup.com uh, in the show notes today so that you can, you can see those. So I think, I think that's about it from us. So, so what do you think of our discussion and our picks of the week? Uh, you can go to sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media and leave us some feedback. Or like I said before, send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. And I'll put any relevant links from our discussion, including to our picks, uh, on our show notes at sqpn.com. I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology. And when I say make it possible, without patrons, this doesn't happen. We don't have shows, any of our shows, uh, and we need patrons uh, most especially. Um, And if you have any ability to help us with that, to give us any type of financial support, we would greatly appreciate it. This week we're we're thanking... Patricia R, Ron S, Ryan W, Marion M, and Lisa R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to create the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. And you could join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And also, one little other piece of business, if you if you can, could you remember to like the episodes of Secrets of Technology on Facebook or to retweet them on Twitter, where we're at SQPN, and to leave comments, and that helps uh, get the word out to other people about the show and spreads the news about it. So, until next time, Father Michael Gossett, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thank you, Dom. Thomas Sanahuro, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.